Ah, perfect. Hello, everyone. Oh. Uh, welcome to. Is it is it live? Are we are we on? I really don't know. It says we're live. It says it's we're live. live. It's telling me that it's uh, redirecting. Are, so. are we live? Uh, are we live? Okay, we're live. We're live. We're live. We're live. A live. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, Affirmative Interaction. I'm Jordan Smart, and we have here with us special guests, Danielle Bernard and Esther Battle. This is episode six of our program, and today we're going to be talking about the Joe Biden and Tara Reid story, um, the future of Adventist education, especially concerning WAU, and of course, we'll be ending with a little PMI. So just to get us started, as many of you may know, Joe Biden has been accused of uh, sexual assault, um, digital rape, more specifically by an old um, employee, I would say of his um, several years ago. And we're just gonna be discussing that. And we really are excited to have a perspective that is not exclusively male, that is a perspective that is valuable that will be provided uh, by us, of course, by Danielle and Esther. Danielle and Esther, welcome to the program. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourselves? Biden has. Um, sure. Uh, my name is Esther. I am an educator, elementary math teacher in Indianapolis. Um, yeah, that is me. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for coming. And Danielle, go ahead. Um, I'm Danielle Bernard. I am a legal advocate for sexual assault survivors in Marion County. Um, and yeah, that's what I'm doing now. So good, good. Well, Esther and Danielle, I just want to make sure we check in with everyone. How have you guys been doing uh, this past week? Um, I mean, I'm still here in quarantine, uh, like the rest of the country or most to the country um, mm -hmm. for individuals who choose to follow procedures. Um, still working also because I'm an essential employee. So mm -hmm. uh, there's that too, but you know, making the best of what our new normal is. Very good. How about you, Esther? Uh, yeah, you know, we're doing distance learning. It's horrible. It's horrible. I really do not like it, but I'm making the best of that situation. <laughs> Try my best to actually teach things to children. So, very good. Um, and then the rest of you guys, I know it's been just a week, but it feels like it's been forever. How you? How have you guys been doing? Anyone jump in? Bad, bad, not good. <laughs> bad. This is all bad. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. Is that is that a check, Logan? Hey, we got the stimulus check today. Hey, hey okay. <laughs> you know what that means? This means? This means that I got to buy a suit for Adrian and Ezra's wedding that we don't know when it's going to happen, but I had to wait because I was like mad broke and I didn't want to ask my mom for the money. And so today I was hyped that they still have my size. And then my dad threw me this when we were in the truck. We were going to Menards or Lowe's or something to get some shiplap put in their bathroom. And... <laughs> He threw this, and I was like, look at God. My unemployment told me today that they're sending me my money, so I'm about to get this money with the extra 600 So, I mean, you know, 
I'm not messing with the nine to fives no more. Like it's oh my god, it's run me my money. <laughs> I asked for this. I did not ask for this. Oh, uh, that's funny. No, I'm excited. I'm excited funny. for me. No, I didn't have my size in the pants, but whatever. Uh, I'll just say, you know, it's 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 uh, I'm I'm tired. I don't know what it is, but maybe it's just like mm-hmm. I hit I hit like a, a quarantine wall very recently where I just feel like yo, I'm over this. Not enough to put my life at risk, but enough to be sad. Amen. <laughs> like yeah. but I'm I'm tired. It's it's I'm tired of it and I'm a little 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 down, but making the most of it, very happy to still be alive and to have family that's healthy and all that. Man, Garrison, you you are describing my experience to the T, bro. It's like I don't want to like be around a bunch of people, obviously, but I, man, I feel like I'm tapped out being in my apartment. Like earlier this week, I literally just drove around in my car. Like I just I had to get out. I was gonna go insane, bro. Like it's just it's just not the mood, man. So it's we're you know just got to make the best out of everything, but still, it is rough for sure. That's good. I'm glad everyone is doing well. I have to say today was My state opened the... up, so we're we're like wide open. We can do anything we want. COVID doesn't even exist Wait, really? anymore. So oh yeah, concerts, we doing everything, mm-hmm. people out. It's crazy. We're just I mean, COVID who? <laughs> like, let's go. That's exactly <laughs> what Missouri's doing. It's terrible. R-I-V. I think everyone's idiots. Like it doesn't make any sense, but that's where we're at. Red governors, that's what they love to do is my whatever. It's great. The benefits of red is very good. I, I will <laughs> say though, I'm, I'm uh yesterday was Star Wars Day, which <clears throat> honestly helped to celebrate a thing just to keep my mind off of all the craziness. But then the negative of that is that today I just completely crashed emotionally. I was very sad <laughs> the whole day. But other than that, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> give you a digital hug, dirty. Exactly, man. I really would appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so, of course, jokes aside now, we're going to be talking about something that is quite serious and we want to treat it as such. Um, if, again, if, if no one is familiar that is listening with what's been going on, Joe Biden was accused of digital rape. Um, his accuser, Tara Reid, has spoke to various news outlets uh, sharing her story. And we're just here to discuss this uh, today. I just want to really make the floor completely open to anyone that wants to jump in. This is a discussion. Just remind everyone, let's try to, you know, remain uh, respectful to the story, to the people involved, especially Tarid, and remain sensitive. So whoever wants to jump in, please feel free. Let's just talk about how we are kind of internalizing what's been going on. What What were your initial reactions when hearing this story? Let's start there. Anyone that wants to jump in? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I, I mean, I brought this to the podcast of, a few weeks ago when I when it first kind of started to hit mainstream, which is interesting because this thing has come out in waves. Uh, we originally heard it through maybe like the Twitter sphere, just kind of people talking, oh, there's an allegation. It mm-hmm. took a little while for it to hit mainstream media, which actually kind of became described to me as I listened to some of the authors and writers for journalism in the New York Times and the Post and the Hill, some of the uh, art, um, 
the the publications that that published things and they just talked about how they wanted to dig into this a little bit more before they just like threw it to the radio or the airwaves or or their newspapers or whatever which i kind of understand but i also kind of think um i, I question some of those uh, things whenever we start to deal with politics so i guess it's now we've gotten to the third wave where we've started to hear from both sides uh, of the conversation and the allegation and um i mean i i don't know that my opinions are all like there but i'm sad i mean it makes me really sad that this is kind of what we deal with maybe because we could have avoided it um it's really sad that i see and hear this person this woman tarid feeling pain um in her voice and in her story um that people go through these things i think just that we have people that have to deal with this in um, professional settings. It just really, it's really disheartening. It's really saddening to kind of know that this is the topic of what we consider to be a pretty enjoyable, fun podcast that we need to address something um, about someone that might be the most powerful man in the world. It's just, it's just all disappointing for me. At least. I definitely hear that, Logan. I think it's just, especially interesting how it seems as if. <clears throat> And which I, I will say, I am grateful for times up in the Me Too movement that these kind of yeah. kinds of conversations are more mainstream, are more in the forefront. And I have to say, it's, I don't know if incredible is a word, but it's just been incredibly profound to see how this conversation is, I would say now a fixture in the conversation when it comes to choosing a president that we start to have to really consider the morality of our leaders in very real ways. And reckonings come, and I have to say, it is, in my opinion, it is refreshing to see women be able to be heard in a very real way, and it can actually affect the conversation. And again, however we are internalizing it in different ways, I again think it's just great to be able to see this conversation be able to be had anyway. Um, yeah, so anyone else, please feel free to share your thoughts, and then we'll start to get into more specific questions. I guess some of my thoughts initially when I heard it is um, I hear this stuff all literally all of the time now because my job, that's all I'm dealing with every single day, day in and day out. And so it's honestly unsurprising to hear uh, allegations or a server comfort and share and disclose a sexual assault. Uh, not only because of my job, but also just because of the culture we live in. Um, we live in a world where um, power and control uh, is what matters. And we see that not just with sexual harassment, sexual violence, but we see it with the way people parent. We see it with um, political systems, with businesses, with other organizations. And so of course, at some point there's going to be someone who shares, you know what, someone misused their power and attempted to control me. So um, maybe I'm kind of cynical now, but I, I now almost expect to hear allegations come forward mm. at some point. Mm. When, Danielle, when you say hear allegations, you mean when it comes to people in power or specifically men that hold positions of power? Is that kind of what you're referring to? Um, not just men, just anyone, because, you know, women are not only uh, 
victims of sexual violence, but also perpetrators. Um, you have uh, gender non-binary LGBTQ people who are also often uh, victims as well as perpetrators. Um, so it's honestly, I know a lot of times we hear believe women and in a lot of the articles and messaging about um, Reed and uh, Biden, it's coming up like, well, you guys always say believe women. And I really don't like the phrase believe women because that discredits male survivors, childhood sexual assault survivors, LGBTQ survivors. And so um, I think we should change the phrasing to believe survivors um, because in any situation, whether it's someone in political power or someone in an organization or in a family or in a community, there's someone who has more power over another person. Yeah. Like we all have different power differentials and we could either use that power to control people or use that power to empower people. And more often than not, people use it to control people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I maybe just wanna thank you so much for sharing that Danny and um, Maybe you and Esther in particular can help us tease this out a bit more as I bring in um, maybe a bit more of a context around uh, the sharing of Reed's allegation and some more of the details and the timeline of it and how that sort of affected the public opinion, essentially. Um, and, and also, real quick before I do that, shout out to everyone who's in the comments. Please be sure to drop your questions and we're going to bring those in as well. Thank you for joining us as always. Um, so I think the interesting thing you know, for me, and I'm gonna to try to be quick here is, and maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, which is, is another part of the problem, which I'm gonna be upfront with and admit. Um, but I didn't listen to uh, Tara Reed's full length interview with Katie Halper until this past Monday. I read a bunch of other reporting. I saw the Hill interview um, and we put all the links to some of the different um, sources that we're referencing in the in the Facebook comments. So if you want to listen after the show, uh, maybe you want to pause on this and listen to that and then come back. We're, we're completely fine with that because this will be archived. But when I, I actually listened to the Halper interview twice because I, I wanted to really be prepared for this conversation. It's a little bit over an hour long. It's about an hour and 10 minutes. And, you know, Tara Reid was extremely compelling and credible, okay, in, in listening to that narrative. And, and I wonder, you know, the first thing, because, I mean, there's even some folks, you know, who said in the comments, you know, the allegations seem a little sketchy or things of that nature. Um, I'd encourage all those folks, and again, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but I'd encourage all those folks to listen to that interview in full uh, before coming to a conclusion, uh, because much of what she described, much of the trauma around, you know, kind of slowly coming out with the account uh, sounds a lot like a lot of other stories we've heard from survivors, you know, over, um, particularly since, you know, in the re past few years with the Me Too movement, and a lot of maybe the perceived discrepancies make a bit more sense when you listen to her, you know, or, and, and oftentimes, I think, you know, and I like the, the paradigm shift, Danny, to believing survivors. I, I think oftentimes when we sit down and listen, um, 
a lot of those, you know, things that we could poke holes into become a bit less important when, when you have that compelling of a narrative. So mm-hmm. may, maybe you all can just talk a little bit about, because uh, oftentimes, you know, it, it's, it's inevitable that it's going to turn into a political weapon, a political football, that kind of a thing. And there are, we, we have high profile Democratic politicians coming out in support of Biden, you know, saying they believe him um, and all of that different type of stuff. A lot of them being folks who were on the other side of this during other conversations, whether that's Kavanaugh, whether that's the current sitting president at all. Um, so how do we sort of navigate through it? Because it seems like the same thing just happens. You have the folks who have the political, um, you know, the political sort of um, incentive for it to be true, quote unquote, and the folks who have a political incentive for it to not be true. And that oftentimes seems to control the, the opinions as opposed to the, the narrative and the facts, uh, particularly the facts being presented by uh, the survivor. So how, how do we sort of get to a better space in having these conversations as opposed to just jumping back into that binary every single time? Yeah. I think for me, it was, I think it's about acknowledging nuance in the conversation, like the entire conversation. I think right now, the way that we're talking about sexual assault, we're talking about it more in depth and more publicly and openly than we ever have, but it's still a very binary conversation. There's like not a lot of room for gray in the way that we're discussing it. And I think that makes it difficult. And so it's a lot easier when you are, when you feel like you're on the side of the good guys and there's somebody who you have no affiliation with, no reason to uh, like align yourself with that person who is being accused and to stay in that conversation and keep it so black and white. But it becomes a lot more difficult to do that once I'm, like I'm in a situation right now where it's like, I mean, I'm eventually going to have to align myself with this person in the voting booth. Like I'm going to have to do that. Like I've already like decided that for myself. And so now I have to have this conversation in a more nuanced way. And I think that's what's making it so difficult. Like I think even just the way that we've um, phrased it, like what you were talking about, Danielle, with like, I like believe women I think like even that term itself has been, I think it's been presented <clears throat> in a much more black and white way than like, than it, what it actually means. I think like believe women means like take what women say seriously enough to investigate it, to understand it, to look into it. Um, and I think that people both within the movement and people who um, oppose the movement have presented it as meaning ask no questions, take everything at face value. And that's not what it means. Like that's, that's not what the word believe means. Like I have things I believe, but that doesn't mean that they're above interrogation or questioning mm-hmm. or understanding them a bit better and more deeply. And I think that's, that's the issue we're having right now is that we haven't been having the conversation that way. And now people who have been championing the cause and saying, you know, believe women at all costs, now we're all having to confront our own words and things that we've said and understand that like, we just have not been having the conversation well this entire time. That's super, yeah. super, super well said. I mean, I, I love the way you've introduced that nuance. I mean, I do think that in a, in a society that's so seriously punitive, 
it's really difficult for us to have, like you said, a conversation like this. Like either you are guilty and therefore canceled, convicted, trash, whatever like hyperbolic term or like, you know, sentence we've determined. Like either that's the truth or you're entirely innocent. And I mean, you know, in this instance, Joe Biden has at least eight women who've come forward to say like, yo, you've made me feel uncomfortable in public spaces. And he's addressed that, which I think is important that he's addressed that. And all of their stories have kind of aligned with each other, that he's touched their shoulders or grabbed them or hugged them or kissed them in some way like that made them just feel really uncomfortable. And I appreciated that Joe was upfront with saying, yeah, times have changed. I got to take responsibility. I have to own that and move forward. And I really wonder like what's going to happen when we have, and, and, and to that point, it seemed as though when he came forward and made those concessions that like, yo, I've got to take responsibility for making these women feel uncomfortable. It seemed as though that narrative, that kind of like touchy Joe, handsy Joe, whatever it is that people were kind of like putting out there about him, it seemed as though that kind of faded away. And I wonder what's going to happen when, when someone um in a position similar to like what joe biden's in like where like he is as you said like esther like kind of set up to be the good guy in november like he's like the good guy and trump's the bad guy right i wonder what's going to happen when some figure who is in a position to be the quote-unquote good guy comes clean about like a sexual assault like i, I really wonder what would happen if that ever happened, like if that was ever the case, like say this Tari situation, say Joe Biden comes forward and says like, you know what, um, I may, I did it, like whatever, I don't, he, he's clearly like denied the allegations. I think that should be clear that his words are that he didn't do it. But if he did, how would we respond to that? And how would that change the conversation around like hashtag me? to and believe survivors. I'm, I'm really curious about that because it seems as though concession is often met in American, like within our kind of social political system, concession is often met with more grace than when people deny. Yeah, Garrison, I think you're bringing up a good point. Um, I, I don't in any way see this scenario as the same, but I do wonder, you know, when we look at, at uh, Bill Clinton, when that when that was first addressed to him, how would the perception have been? How would it have been seen by the public if he immediately admitted to the wrongdoings of of his actions? And I think it kind of puts us, um, particularly, uh, you know, one of those articles that I was saying, people that align more on the left or or blue policies they have been the ones to kind of trump the 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 rhetoric of of listening to women believing their stories um but in some ways we like have to reflect on the notion that there are going to be power dynamics regardless of partisanship and like we've seen that mm -hmm. on on multiple occasions and now we kind of find ourselves in this 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 weird moment where we have this person in power that is on the side of the the party that has been vocalizing the the need to believe women more, um, and he also has uh, power that he holds in his position. And now I kind of find myself like, 
dang, yo, how now I feel like I have to vote in between two uh, uh, alleged sexual assault uh, individuals. And now it's like, well, how, how am I supposed to reconcile with my convictions when I'm at that voting booth? Because now I'm, I'm forced to choose between these two people, but they have both abused their power. And, and when I look at it from a, a ministerial perspective, when a pastor has done that, I, I am immediately calling for them to permanently resign from that position. They've abused it. They've used it to exploit someone that's underneath them, that power that they have, they are not trusted with it. Um, but now it's like, I, I don't know, like what, how, how are we supposed to reconcile with, with the notion that um, we are being forced into choosing between two people um, and both have been found in similar accusations. And it's like, well, I, yeah, I just don't know. I'm being very transparent. I, I feel very conflicted, y'all. I, I will say, I, I feel like I, <clears throat> I really liked when someone said that we need to have nuance in this discussion. Um, because I feel like this is why nuance is important. And I think when, you know, Me Too was really starting up and a lot of women were able to come out and tell their story, which again, we have to constantly reaffirm, which is that it is a amazing uh, thing for them to finally be able to do. Um, I think maybe in some of those circumstances, we weren't using a nuance that we need to be having right now. And I think now in a, in a way we kind of have to walk back into a place of nuance and walk back from a place of, I won't say extremism, but really just not understanding that we need to make sure we look at the facts in a way that is, you know, that, that, that is justifiable, that is fair, and that is really uh, what's what I'm looking for here? Um, looking at looking at the facts that in, that in a way is really good for each circumstance that arises. So I don't I'm 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 kind of developing this thought like right now as I'm saying it. But to simplify, and I hope I I simplify. Uh, I'm praying to God right now. But to simplify, I really feel like when we don't perform nuance when we need to, and we're having these kinds of discussions, when we're dealing with these kinds of issues, it's really hard to walk it back when we need to have that nuance, especially now. Because yeah. with Joe Biden, and, and again, like, it's, it's, it's sucks to make this comparison, because I won't say that Joe and Trump are in the same stratosphere when it comes to how they both have been dealing with these accusations. I think Again, we still need to wait for the story to develop more and more. And again, we always want to make sure we're giving Tara Reed the respect that she deserves in telling her story. And in the same breath, Joe Biden has responded to this in a way that Trump has never had responded, has never have, has never responded to his own accusations. And I feel like it's important to remember that difference because if we don't, then we make it seem as if we're choosing between two devils where in fact it's way more nuanced than that. So I do think nuance is a key word and I'm so glad I figured out what I was saying anyway. <laughs> well, I just wanna jump in real quick here on that part, just because, and shout out to Matthew Schallenberger. Uh, he dropped an article in the comments with a quote, and this is actually a quote from Biden. I believe this was mostly in response to 
uh, the, the women that Garrison was referencing around the inappropriate touching and things of that nature, you know, while he did express, I think, some public, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. He also said, as, as Matthew put here, I'm sorry I didn't understand more. I'm not sorry for any of my intentions. I'm not sorry for anything that I've ever done. I've never been disrespectful intentionally to a man or a woman. So that's not the reputation I've had since I was in high school, for God's sake, end quote. And so while while he has maybe shown some some public, you know, you know, mea culpa when that's been convenient, um, he's also shown a, a pretty large righteous indignation of, hey, I I didn't do you know anything that wrong. If something was wrong, it's because somebody perceived that it was wrong, not that yeah. I intended. It's the whole question around intent, kind of a thing. Um, and, and I know we'll probably get to this later, so I don't want to go fully to it, but my attitude towards Biden in general really started to turn after reading the statement that they released on May 1st. I thought that statement was abominable. I thought it was trash. Um, it was pretty much the, I had plenty of black friends version of, you know, hey, I didn't do sexual assault because look at all this stuff that I've done for women, that kind mm -hmm. of a thing. You know, the, the first three fourths of it is listing off all these things that he's done politically um, and then he throws in a denial and, and a lot of the stuff he's basing around that denial is stuff that we already know. We already knew that some of the things were holes in the account because, you know, Tara Reid said that there were some holes in it. And there's some things that from 1993, she's not going to be able to get her hands on like a complaint or whatever the case may be. And the last quick thing I'll say is I think that Biden's words himself indict him because during the a Kavanaugh, Christine Blasey Ford incident, um, Biden said this, for a woman to come forward in the glaring lights of focus nationally, you've got to start off with the presumption that at least the essence of what she's talking about is real. Yeah. Whether or not she forgets facts, whether or not it's been made worse or better over time, but nobody fails to understand that this is like jumping into a cauldron, end quote. So, he needs to explain to the American people why that doesn't apply here, because that's what he's telling us to do. That's what all these different politicians are telling us to do. And I'm saying I don't buy it because it's quite clear that they're all doing that because it's in their political expedience to do so. And if that's the case, I'm not I'm not here, you know, trying to morally equate Biden and Donald Trump. That's a different part of the conversation, probably. But. All that moral high ground stuff is out the window if that's what we're yeah. doing, point blank period. So so that that's sort of where I'm at with it. I, I have to say real quick, that's just wild to realize that he said this because this came out today at 12.41 PM. And frankly, I'm completely I'm completely blindsided by what he said in this interview. Oh, that, I, that, I thing, just, that the thing that Matthew posted, that was from today? Yes, yes, oh, today, wow. April 5th, 12. Yeah, 1241. So even that, I would say, is a very new development that I feel slightly blindsided by. Sorry, Garrison, were you going to say something? Or maybe it was a month ago. I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Yeah, it looks like it was maybe a little... A month I, ago. Yeah, it was a little older than today, but I, I think it is it's oh, still, it's still relevant. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still relevant to this conversation. I think the thing that, like, I, I'm going to, like, try to tell a really, like very difficult. I think I think this conversation is in uncharted territory. And I think it's in uncharted territory 
because the reality is that all, what is it, seven people on here are relatively liberal. And I, I mean, I think we are mostly liberals. I'm, I'm sorry to put that label out there if anyone wants to shirk it, by all means, tell me I'm wrong. But I think generally knowing the group here, we at least lean that way, okay? And yet we're having a very honest, candid conversation about how someone who certainly doesn't align with Donald Trump, who most of us, I believe, are opposed to Donald Trump. If just if nothing else is true, that part is true. Mm -hmm. And so having this conversation is already kind of like, it, fe it feels like a little bit outside of like the norm right now. Um, and at the same time, I think it's important for us to ask some really tough questions, like watching the way that people responded to Kavanaugh. And as it's been kind of noted, the way some of those very same people are responding to the allegations levied by Tara Reid against, um, against Joe Biden, it really makes me wonder if we have, if there's a space for us to ask a really, really pressing question, in my opinion, in my very humble opinion, I think it's a pressing question, which is what do we do when these kinds of allegations are brought forward within a hyper-political context? How do we accurately gracefully, um, just righteously, like how do we have this conversation when we know that we exist in a hyper-polarized context where, I mean, everyone and most people are aware, Tara Reid has been tied to like, you know, love or whatever for Russia. That's always, that's been introduced into the conversation. So people are assuming that she is somehow working for, you know, and, and who knows if she's working for Russia, that, that really isn't necessarily uh, relevant, like we'll never know, likely. But I do think it's a relevant question to ask. Like we know, sorry, they're coming for me. Uh, we know the the PC police. Okay, we know that <laughs> Russia, bro. You mentioned Russia in it all. <laughs> Russia was like, oh, word. <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> um, no, but like we know that that Russia, for instance would use anything. They would amplify any kind of allegation against a political opponent to their own benefit. And while I am certainly uncomfortable with saying that that's what's happening here, I'm not saying that that's what's happening here, but I do think it's a, a worthwhile a question to ask and say like, how do we deal with that? Like, how do we, and I would really like to hear from Danny and Esther particularly, because as a man, it might be a lot easier for me to say, oh, these are just the political opponents or, oh, this is just something that can be used against Biden to help Trump. But how do we like, again, kind of calling on that nuance? I think I've gotten my point across, my question. I definitely think that in recent years, sexual violence has become a political uh, issue. And I don't wanna say that it's not, but I'd like to say that sexual assault is about people. So like, whenever we're talking about this, what tends to happen in the conversations, especially with um, political figures or even entertainers or you know people who are in the spotlight in our society, we tend to forget that it's not just about the person who is being um, who's considered the perpetrator, but it's also, there's an individual who was hurt in this and that person is disclosing a story 
that they probably didn't need to disclose that they felt was the right time to disclose. And then everything else, when we move on, when the election is over, um, Tara Reid is still going to have a life that she still has to continue to live. And likewise, Dr. Blasey Ford, after the Kavanaugh hearings ended, her life completely changed even during the process. So we tend to forget that we're dealing with humans, with people who have lives and who have stories and that this isn't about who's Supreme Court justice ultimately. It isn't about who's president ultimately. It isn't about Democrats or Republicans. It's about the fact that we live in a culture that supports violence. Like we live in a violent culture and those who yeah. exercise violence are then given ability to continue to exercise that violence. And sexual violence can, is used in that way politically, but we forget who it's really about and what it's really about. And it's about a culture change, not political ploys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'd second that. I think the way that we've been talking about it exposed a lot of people's actual intentions and in engaging in the conversation at all. And like political officials, but I also think just like everybody, I think all for a lot of us, it's been about the spectacle of it all, but like not necessarily engaging in conversations about like actual systems change and like how this sort of thing play out in everyday lives of people because it's not, yeah. it's the grand, like in the grand scheme of things, most of these cases are not to, gonna take place on like this global stage, the way that these high profile cases have, but we're only engaging in the conversation with these high profile cases because of the spectacle, because of the way that it's affecting us politically, the way it's affecting like affecting the kind of entertainment and things like that, that we engage in. Like that's the level on which we're having the conversation. We're not having the conversation um, at the root of like where we should be focusing it. And I think that's being exposed, um, especially in this case. I also think just right there. Uh oh. And it looks like um let's just wait a little bit. I think Esther This is, is a good time to point out when we're on FaceTime, it is Esther's Wi Fi and not mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um maybe Okay, yeah. Hold on, I just, I think, I think about like talk. navigating it and I don't know what to try. Just, it's just not going to happen for me. I'm coming to a place where like I have my beliefs about what happened and like, oh no. Okay, so you were going to say, you were about to start your Am second I back? Next point. You're back now. You were just about okay. to start that second point, the most recent. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was just saying in, in regards to like how highly politicized everything is um, that I think I think what I'm trying to wrestle with right now is the fact that like, we're never gonna actually know what happened. Like we just won't, it's not gonna go to trial. It's not gonna be proven, like nothing like that's gonna happen. And so I can believe whatever I want. I can choose what I believe. Like I'm choosing, like I believe her, but like that belief isn't the same thing as like a conviction. It's, it's not the same thing and it doesn't function the same way in society. So like, I think, I think like that 
like that has to be acknowledged that like we just won't ever know and so it's hard to make decisions about like does this disqualify a person should this mean that they can't you know have this office should it mean that they can't do this that or the third when like we're not we're not operating on like infallible like proven things we're operating on like just what we think and believe happened based on information that we have and so like I I think everybody just has to make their own decisions about like what do you believe about what's happening and then you need to decide what do you feel comfortable doing with that information when it comes to voting when it comes to what you know whatever the situation is I think when it's happening in this situation that's that like it's it's infecting and um, intertwining with our politics, because like in this case, it's like unavoidable that it will, like, we just have to operate understanding like our beliefs are not the same thing as like anything being proven true or untrue. And so the way that this plays out isn't going to play out the same way, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And thank you for saying that, because I feel like just listening to you is really helping me develop my own language moving forward on how to have these conversations on how to internalize what is is going on, whether it's a big case, like what we're discussing right now, or even just a small, uh, a small story of, of digital or sexual assault uh, happening. Um, I do want to ask, and this is, this is a question, I will say leaning more towards uh, Danny and Esther, but anyone else feel free to jump in if you can. Um, what can we learn from what has been happening in the situation? Because Esther, you've spoken a lot about how, you know, a lot of us get our antennas out when these cases are on the national level. What can we do to better be perceptive of what's going on in our office, in our own communities? How can we go about having these conversations more at the forefront and not just at the forefront when it is the new story of the day? Uh, Danny, uh, Sorry. no, please go ahead, Danny, please. <laughs> I'm trying to like put together my thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. I guess one of the things that I've been super big on uh, lately is just the idea that we have to take, you know, like individual strides in our lives on a daily basis to combat sexual violence. Um, and that seems like very broad, but something as small as being able to look at how we I always say it starts with kids, like look at how we talk to kids about, you know, something as basic as um, as consent, for example. Like we always consider consent only by the time someone's in college, but even for like a small child, like teaching that child to be able to say, um, you know, this is my body and, you know, I don't wanna hug right now, or I don't want to hug that person, or, can I hug you? Like asking permission for just the smallest and most basic of things will in turn create a culture and a generation of people who are used to asking for permission and understanding that what they do impacts other people. So it creates a space where people are able to dialogue in that way naturally 
without it being seen as a um, a way to push an agenda. Because I also think a lot of our discussions like this, like you said, because it's like highly politicized in this moment, like what does it look like when it's not? Um, a lot of our discussions like this center around political hot, like terminology and hot topics that are popular, but not necessarily daily changes like that, or even thinking about what we're watching on TV. There are so many things that I can no longer watch or consume because of the way it reflects violence in society and particularly sexual violence and how it condones it. A lot of stuff that we watch does that. A lot of music we listen to does that. A lot of um, organizations that we support or are part of support um, attitudes that push sexual violence um, or that support perpetrators of sexual violence. And so I think in many ways, considering more deeply who we support in our daily lives, whether that's an organization, a musician, an artist, considering you know what we watch, what we listen to, considering how we talk to each other, how we practice um, engaging with one another as autonomous uh, beings who have autonomy over themselves. Um, I think those are very important ways in which we can do that outside of just these big moments, but then also realizing that there are survivors around us everywhere. Um, most people, like I know in my work, uh, I've come across so many people who are like, oh, that happens here in Berrien County. And, or like people are just surprised that sexual assault is something that happens uh, on a daily basis wow. or just around the corner from them. And so, I think it's important to realize that there are more survivors than you know, just walking around holding their stories and not being able to talk about it because in many ways we are not the right people. Like I think most of these cases have shown that the public is not a safe space for survivors to share their stories because yeah. we don't know how to hold them and we automatically go to this idea, well, someone's lying or what's the truth. And so um, learning to walk through life, knowing that there are survivors with us and recognizing their stories and trying to become spaces that are willing to hear them if they choose to speak is something I think we can do in our daily lives or even researching and reaching out to volunteer with any type of rape crisis centers. There are coalitions across the country that support survivors in every state. And so just maybe reaching out to them, being educated, because most of our society, like sexual assault education is next to zero. You know, people still believe that false reporting happens when less than 2% of reported cases are false reports. And only like one case in a hundred ever actually makes it to some type of legal action. So the, the idea of, or these misconceptions about sexual assault have also affected our daily lives. So just education, supporting local organizations, thinking of how we talk and realizing that people have autonomy over their bodies and it's not our job to control other people. 
in our daily lives. Like just something that simple could change everything. Yeah. Mm. All right. Thank you so Thank much you. for that. Yeah. 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 Please feel free to jump in. Yeah, that's a that was amazing. Honestly, like I learned quite a bit in there and I'm definitely holding on to like the way we teach our kids to talk about, you know, themselves and their own autonomy. Like I'm taking that with me into ministry to young people. Like I just think that's so important. Um and I also want to say thank you to you, Danny, just for like the fact that you work. This is like something that you do and and it and that's huge. Um, and I think the thing that stood out the most to me from what you were saying that I kind of wanted to amplify was just the idea of being conscientious about the way you talk about these things in public, especially like you never know who's listening. And while I think, you know, a candid conversation like the one we're having is important to like, like, you know, wrestle with these ideas of like how to respond. I think there's so much careless like dismissal that takes place online and comments like I've been reading comments all week over about these allegations and people are like really callous and careless like with the way they kind of flippantly like dismiss every single part of it and I can see how if I'm scrolling through and you very likely didn't know that Garrison Hayes was going to read your comment like how many you know how many other people are doing the same thing how many survivors are seeing that and thinking to themselves this isn't a space where I can be, you know, like vulnerable and you aren't a person that I can trust to respond in, in a, in a measured or graceful way. Mm -hmm. I think that's important, especially for men. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that's great points, Garrison and Danny. I know for me personally, I've just been willing to, um, I mean, I've, I've done a little bit of work in, uh, sexual violence, sexual harassment prevention, bystander intervention. Um, and honestly, like trainings have been very resourceful for me. Uh, I know most university, public universities, state universities have departments that have women's resource centers as well as sexual violence, sexual harassment prevention centers. Um, those would all come under different names um, that kind of exist under that escape. But I, I know we wanted to do a project at UC Berkeley's campus and they like really wanted us to um, get trained, but they came to our church. They trained anyone that wanted to listen. They were like, yeah, if, if you're close enough within our radius and you want to do any work in this, like volunteer or otherwise on our campus, we'll come, we'll, we'll run you through trainings. They, they did three different trainings for our, for our teams, um, which was like pretty simple that led up to actual like really in-depth um, how to dialogue with survivors that you come in contact with uh, just like in conversation, how to, how to talk to them, how to, and so like those trainings are incredibly helpful because they not only give you information, they give you language, they give you terminology, they give you understanding, they give you statistics, um, things that can kind of prepare you uh, to see this in contact because it's typically, I know we talk about it most when it's pol political, but it's, it's statistics that you know, not only um, survivors, you know perpetrators, you know rapists, you know abusers, um, and you know people that are currently being harmed by them. And it's our jobs as you know individuals that don't have these intents to um, make sure that those people are are able to feel safe, that they're able to feel connected. But also, I know for me, just like posting about it on social media, being vocal, people will DM and message and kind of keep you in their in their circle and loop to say, you know, this is a person that's willfully stood up in this conversation. And I know that I can reach out, connect um, for me. 
um, because, you know, they're navigating it. A male in such a um, male perpetrated dominated society can be very tricky, but being able to say, yeah, I've taken the time to study research, be trained, um, reaching out to some of these resource centers, really like really valuable. At least it has been, it been for me personally, for sure. Yeah, I would, I would piggyback off of a couple of things I heard from Garrison and part of what uh, Danny said earlier, I think in my interactions, whether it's me being reflective on my own or seeing the way uh, people have been interacting with this conversation, particularly on social media, I think it reveals um, uh, a very tribalistic thinking that I think sometimes men have when it comes to this topic. Uh, and what I mean by that is when I have seen it on countless measures where we can see the data of how uh, unlikely it is for a woman to make up this story and our initial reaction in processing this new information is to assume that she's lying. And, and it, it is a conversation that uh, it, it happens so much. Or we look at other scenarios where uh, oftentimes men are more prone to believe a very least likely outcome of what this is actually happening. We can look no further and not to get too controversial, but like we were, we had countless conversations with people who were telling us that the whole Bill Cosby scenario was coming down because he wanted to buy M uh, NBC, right? We, we look at that and that outrageous story is sometimes easier for them to process than to actually believe that, you know what, this person, this man that we placed on a pedestal may have made a terrible decision. And that statistically is more likely. And I think that is part of a conversation that I don't know if we're really having is, I know we wanna factor in on teaching our young boys from a very young age on how to interact with women, but we also need to like reteach ourselves what it means to actually listen. Because I don't think that is, that is an art that we've uh, used properly. And I think we've kind of taken it for granted and assumed we know how to listen. And I think what we're seeing here is that it really reveals um, the problems and the, the, the bias we may have when it comes to this topic, because we see it, our initial reaction oftentimes is to believe something that is statistically unlikely. And I think that is the lesson that I would want to not just impart on myself, but all of my male friends is um, we, we've got to be careful if our initial reaction leads us down a road of, of um, denying how real this problem is, is for our country. Yeah, I just want to jump in real quick and um, and thank you all for everything that you've shared. It's been it's been so educational for me, and I know for sure for our viewers. Um, I just want to jump in and say that the church needs to be doing a lot more. Just want to bring that perspective, and particularly men in the church, uh, whether that's pastors. Um, we can have a, like a three part series on male dominated. Um, evangelistic series or camp meetings or um, 
or online um, revivals, whatever the case may be. I'll just leave that at, at that for now. Not, not, you know, no shade to anybody in particular. Uh, but this culture that kind of assumes that we can tell the story of the gospel uh, without the perspective of women, um, particularly women of color, um, continues to be problematic. I do want to mention a couple of, of resources, more grassroots network resources. Um, I'm involved with an initiative called Rise Up Against Abuse. And a big shout out to uh, Latoya Wright, uh, Dominique Gamalt, um, as well as, um, I just blanked on a name, but sorry. But you know, there's some info on that. And then the Bucket Brigade Against Abuse, uh, which is run by Jennifer Jill Swerzer, Sarah McDougall and Nicole Crozier-Parker. Uh, they actually have a anonymous, um, secure way for folks who have been, particularly in religious communities, who've been abused by those, whether in church leadership or at the high levels or local leadership, for you to uh, report that and get help, bucket brigade against abuse. But, but the last thing I'll just say real quick is the what really is seared in my mind on this topic is when we had a rally on our campus um, on for, for Rise Up Against Abuse to launch it. And um, I remember that as part of the different things we were doing that Sabbath, um, I was asked to make sort of an announcement to invite folks at PMC to an afternoon program we were having. This was during divine worship. And um, I just remember looking out as I was talking about the topic and, and what we were wanting to do. And you know how sometimes you have these moments where whether you're in a small group or a large group and you're like connecting eyes with people. And it was like, in that moment, I don't even remember what I said because I was just kind of talking, but I remember what I remember about that moment is sort of God allowing me to see people in a different way. And what I saw looking back at me were survivors in that church who've never spoken about what they've gone through, what they've been through, likely sitting next to someone who has assaulted or is currently assaulting them, and just feeling so overwhelmed by that, feeling so inadequate and continuing to just feel inadequate in the midst of the conversation, but being reminded that in spite of not being an expert, not knowing all the right terminology or the right things to say or the things to do, how vitally important it is in the midst to use whatever platform or influence or whatever it is that you have garnered to keep this topic in the light, because that's the only way that it's going to be pushed back on or eradicated to any particular degree, uh, because it's so easy to lean back into our comfort and be silent. And we just can't do that. The, the issue is too critical for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to add quickly to the sort of like switch you were saying, Nixon, um, sort of about like religion and how this plays into it. And also what you were saying, Danielle, about how we talk to kids. Um, just thinking about like my role as a teacher. Um, I think we talk about, we try to talk about consent with them, but I think also what needs to happen is just like how we talk about sex, period. And like right now, a lot of how we talk about sex is influenced by religion and that like we just sort of don't talk about it, especially with children. But the problem is like we also live in a hypersexualized culture and so kids are constantly taking in information about sex and a lot of it is 
very controlling, very objectifying. And then we don't have language to use with them when we see them acting out of like out, out of what they see in culture. So like, I can just think of like, there's been some like really disturbing incidences in like my experience as a teacher of just like what young boys do to young other young girls, just acting out on what they see in front of them. And it's a really difficult line of towing between like not vilifying them because they are still a child, but not doing that whole, you know, boys will be boys thing. I think that we just don't have language right now to talk about sex with children in a way that is like transparent mm -hmm. and open and sets them up to understand what it means to un to respect another person as a human and not as an object and how that can be so harmful in sexual relationships because like even though they're children they are constantly constantly interacting with sexual content all the time and we can't protect them from it so like we have to talk to them about it somehow and i think like we just like we don't know how right now thank you thank you so much for everyone for your contributions on this topic i know it can be a very difficult thing to discuss to talk about but i think when we come at this subject with vulnerability with openness with open ears and open minds and of course with a huge amount of empathy we can really say and learn things that can help us move forward and just be better people and remove the shame out of being honest and and seeking justice so uh Right before we add, I want to comment. Okay, great. So I do want to hit the topic of voting in this election concerning what is happening with both of our candidates. We do have another topic that we want to reach. So if we can try to discuss this, and I would say in a, in a I guess a timely fashion, but honestly, we'll go where the wind takes us. So I feel like this is just such a good discussion to have. If this takes up all of our time, I have no issue with that. I don't think any of you do either. So how do we think voting will affect, how do we think, excuse me, voting will be affected by this? Because this is a very serious topic and it should be affecting how we, um, how we go to the booth. So how can we do this responsibly? How can we, how can we do this fairly? How can we do this and respect these victims at the same time? Anyone, please feel free to jump in. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say something real quick. I think, uh, and I want to go back to something I said at the beginning. I really invite and encourage everyone to listen to Tara Reed's interview with uh, Lisa Hopper. One of the interesting things she said in that interview actually was that, um, you know, she voted for President Obama in 2008 with Joe Biden being on the ticket. And so that, that's one of the other things that's a good context for her. She's a, she's a lifelong liberal Democrat. And so some of the assumptions or assertions about how she's, gonna, how she's being used by conservative um, politicians doesn't really hold weight when you actually read into her political background and some of the things she said. Um, but there could be maybe some debate about that. And so she talked about how she believed in what President Obama stood for, then candidate Obama, and she didn't allow her personal animus towards Joe Biden to prevent her from, from casting that vote. And so that, that was actually quite persuasive for me. And um, 
not necessarily saying that that gives me the permission to now, you know, move forward. I mean, I was, I think I've talked on our previous spot about how in a very reluctant way I'm voting for Joe Biden. Um, but I think it was interesting hearing her talk about how she navigated that for herself personally, having experienced what she's experienced, uh, you know, at his hands allegedly, um, which just kind of reminds us sort of how murky and how nuanced this whole thing is. But ultimately, I think when it comes down to who you vote for, um, there are a lot of factors that go into it. And so um, I thought hearing how she dealt with that in 08 was really instructive for me personally. Very good. Thank you, Michael. I know that Garrison and Logan had some specific thoughts. Um, uh, Garrison, feel free to go next for us. Yeah, I, I mean, I think just kind of trying to, I'm trying to condense everything that I have to say on this, like it's something kind of succinct in. And I, I think a flattening conversation is almost always going to be detrimental to the broader conversation. And I say, I mean, we, we did an episode last week on disinformation and it was a powerful episode. And one of the things that Christian had to say about disinformation or misinformation, the way that information is used um, from a from a negative perspective is it's designed to get you to not vote. And in 2016, what we saw was some legitimate and some made up things being used to depress the vote. I mean, significant, the significantly depressed vote, especially among black voters. Um, and, and I think it's just important for us to be informed voters. Um, it's easy to do headlines and allow the headlines to just dictate what we're, you know, what we decide to do. I mean, I think Nick's just brought out a great point. He listened to an hour long interview with the survivor, uh, with the person who's bringing the allegations. And it, he left, he, he came away from that saying, this isn't her saying that vote for Donald Trump or like don't vote for Joe Biden necessarily. It's not necessarily what, what she's saying, but you can only come to that conclusion by really examining the information for yourself. And, and the reality is that since Tara Reid's um, allegation, there have been at least two more allegations that have come forward of Joe Biden doing something um, and, you know, inappropriate. And the reality is that those were actually lies. Like people had actually made these stories up that Joe Biden wasn't even at the event that they were accusing him of doing this thing at. And so if you stick, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Literally this morning, I got a notification from Medium telling me to read an article that was amplifying those stories that have already been debunked. And so, the, so I, my, my whole point is to be informed and to vote. I mean, at the end of the day, all of the, like we can't make progress in society. We can't do what's necessary to protect the Supreme Court, to pr protect immigrants at the border, to pr protect our disparate impact and civil rights laws if we don't vote. And um, I just think that's a really important thing to be said. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Um, I haven't heard of many times when we've seen um, hour-long interviews or things that have come forward to say, hey, we're, we're here to discredit someone um, based off of an accusation. Uh, I think uh, AOC did an interview that I listened to on, and, and she touched on this, 
um, that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about uh, who she would vote for with this. And she said, look, I believe Tarif. I believe that her story is like, I believe her credibility. I believe her um, ability to come forward. I believe her story, um, but we're fighting against Donald Trump. And she said, in order for me to feel like I have the ability as a Congresswoman to move our country forward, we need to get Donald Trump out of here and we need to move forward with someone that's going to be able to not only work with the left, which she is a part of, um, she's a very progressive uh, liberal, but also work with both sides. And Donald Trump has proven that he can't do like anything. And so we're talking massive differences in this. Um, I said it a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, uh, this allegation has changed my perspective on how I will campaign in politics this between now and November. Um, I was really excited um, to push uh, Joe Biden into, you know, the election and to win that, but um, I'm not as excited anymore. Uh, and we could say that, yeah, this has added to that. It has. Um, I'm sure there's more information that's going to come out over time and how this all get handled, but for sure, uh, I want to um, say that, yeah, I'm, I'm not as excited, but at the same point, information is important, but also we're fighting against a very, very troubling, problematic white supremacists that exist in the White House right now, so. Yeah. Very good, thank you so much for sharing that. Logan, I have to agree, I, I feel like that there, again, just to use the word nuance, we can definitely respect the stories of survivors and then also try our best to make the best decisions that we can. And I know it's really tough for everyone and it just starts with a conversation and we all have to make our own decisions um, at the end of the day. So we're gonna go a little bit over time, um, which I am not mad at personally. I know I can be a little <laughs> crazy when it comes to oh, keeping don't time. Don't lie, bro, don't lie to the viewers. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not cap, come on now. But I, I do want to, uh, we're, we're gonna move into a new topic. Um, and before we do, I want to say again, thank you everyone for having this important discussion. I know it can be tough, but there's true bravery in being able to talk about these things and finding solutions. Uh, RAIN is an organization and that is spelled R-A-I-N-N that helps a sexual assault survivors. We put the link in the chat. If you are, or anyone that you know is a survivor or even if you're an ally, this is a resource you can plug into to get help. Uh, so please look into that if you need to. To move on, uh, WAU has made significant cuts to their staffing. Um, this is something that we have been all discussing. We wanna discuss this right now with all of you too. Um, so just to start off, I mean, what are our reactions to this? And then later on, we'll talk about the future of Adventist education. But for right now, what are our reactions to WAU making these moves? It, it, that's crazy it might be it might be helpful to kind of give like a brief 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 overview of like what's happening so Adventist today released an article recently i mean there have been grumblings i'm sure amongst alumni like danny and others they kind of know what's <laughs> going on but it kind of came to the um it came <laughs> to the fore um recently in, a, in an Adventist today uh article that there have been plans or proposal made um, for the discontinuance of several academic departments 
um, the restructuring of some academic programs, the elimination, I'm, I'm reading from the actual article, the elimination of about 10 faculty positions, which represents about 20% of the current faculty, which was a great, they have, they only have 50 faculty at WU and I did not know that is that's, wow. that's crazy. I didn't know that, but okay, here are the departments, here are the departments that are to be eliminated education, biochem and chemistry, um, <laughs> communication, history, political science, math, and social work. Is there a school anymore? I'm, I'm not even trying to cut, I'm not trying to play, but like, whoa, like that leaves nursing and religion. Like, yeah. like right? Uh, that's, that's a lot, so. Political science in DC is gone, that makes no sense. It leaves a very accredited nursing program mm. in religion. Ooh, my, my, my. Like a little jab. Sorry, I went there. So <laughs> jab on your way out. <laughs> I, I just, I just want to, just you know, for the record, you know, just in the midst of this here discussion, um, and on, like, quite honestly, no shade to WAU. Um, the stress is around figuring out, navigating the finances of higher ed in general is really tough, and so. I'm really empathetic to their situation, to the folks who are losing jobs, who have learned that they're losing jobs yeah, in, in a terrible economy. Uh, that's just awful. Um, you know, you know, having said that, here at Andrews, um, you know, registration is open for the fall. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Yo. Yo, he really did that. He really did that. Get him out of oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's joke. It's joke. No, I, I wasn't meaning that to shade. This is a I'm moving off of the WAU talk. It's not to shade them at all. I'm just saying my bio dog, STEM, social work major and education major. said higher ed in general. Folks are be wondering, they know I'm at Andrews, so I just want to let them know we're open men, you know. Majors are still holding strong and um, praise hey, God, praise God, praise whether, God. <laughs> whether in person or remotely, um, you know, Andrews at EDU. No, I will say like, <laughs> I, I feel like I've said it for a little while personally. Uh, if you want to make Adventist schools stay open, get rid of subsidy. Like it's honestly killing our institutions. We have people that mm. get a 70% discount um, on tuition and then another group that gets zero. All you have to do to make it 40% cheaper is just give everyone the same tuition price because all that goes to these schools are avenues, literally. If, if tuition was $500 and 50% of the kids are getting subsidy and 50% are paying full price, if everyone pays the same price, they pay 325 a credit hour, which is competitive. And you can actually sell that to people and say, this is actually competitive to other schools. Like we, we do this subsidy thing, which we give it to, you know, like parents, which it's good. We, we want to make it cheaper, but we could hit that same number by just saying like, we'll make it 40% cheaper for everybody. And we won't have a subsidy number where only a certain amount of students get to come. And then it makes it actually more appealing and competitive to other schools. I know that some people are like, ah, oh, we need our subsidy. Yeah, that's fine. We, we understand that a lot of people rely on that. 
feel like I know I'm not a child of subsidy. My parents worked hard to put me through college and things like that. And I know we would have been way more excited. And I know many people that would go to our Adventist institutions if they had the ability, because a lot of people just aren't necessarily, as we're cutting jobs, we're cutting pastors, we're cutting teachers, we're cutting schools, we're having less subsidy. That means less kids are going to be able to go and get that discount and they can't afford the full price. Get rid of subsidy, drop the prices meet your okay. budget better and I, and I just point out we're on the subsidy sorry just just to give another perspective on that real quick thank you um, the, so the subsidy that you know children of you know church employees get it, that is like a that's like that's an income benefit for those employees so they're still taxed on that amount of money so that's one thing you do want to keep in mind for sure um, and it's also one of the the ways the church is, you know, that's one of the ways they justify the pay scale for the employees in the church. Were they to not be giving those kinds of benefits, benefits they'd, right. have, they'd have to increase the salary, which would ultimately likely end up with, you know, someone who's a church employee with kids saying, hey, well, now that I have this extra 30 grand a year and my child has the ability to go to these other schools, then that money could end up going elsewhere. But it's a way for the money to stay in the system in a weird mm. way. It's Yeah, but you know that they're not going to, like, if you don't have kids in school, it's not like you make more. Yeah, I think the subsidy thing is relevant for other Adventist schools, but WAU in particular is really unique um, because of its location and also because when I was in college there, at least 50% of the school was not Adventist. So WAU mm -hmm. has the highest percentage of non-Adventist students at an Adventist school. Like, other than the fact we were required to go to chapels, not that it's not a good faith-based institution, but of students. you didn't feel as if you were in an Adventist only space. Like you were actually in a classroom with people who were other, like other religions who there yeah. were like most of our schools, tons of international students, but also tons of commuter students. So you're getting a very different dynamic than you'd get at other Adventist institutions that are more like isolated in different areas that are primarily Adventist and where the non-Adventist is the person that's like, odd, want the odd one out. At WAU, like meeting an Adventist is not the common thing. So, the subsidy thing doesn't play into like what's going on at WAU in particular, um, just because there aren't that many people there who would be getting subsidy for it anyway. So like people are paying full tuition, taking out loans, international students don't get federal money. So they're either working or finding ways to make money for school. So like every penny that students are giving is going towards the school. And I think the question is like where, how is the money being used? I think also not to, well, okay. So I think Adventists don't have a very good uh, meter for determining what qualifies leaders. So we pick our leaders based on the wrong things and not necessarily on their qualifications and ability to properly run organizations. Mm -hmm. And so, um, outside of the Adventist world, like this, like this would never fly at a UMD or at like another at a UPenn or a private institution or even at a community college. Like 
this wouldn't yeah, work. That's facts. So I've always said the only qualification of being an Adventist principal is wanting to be an Adventist principal. <laughs> God oh will qualify the call, though. No, man, I got some people I need to stand up for on that call. I got some people I need to stand up for. <laughs> I know who is qualified. I will yeah. say that one of the things that I've noticed in part of the conversation, which is kind of what I think Danny has mentioned in some ways, is um, uh, it's not just that like there are less Adventists going to places like WAU, or but it's also hit places like uh, La Sierra. See, based on location, you're in DC or you're in LA. Um, it's it's one going to be hard to create that communal experience that you would have in in uh, um, Barron Springs or Huntsville or College Place, Walla Walla, where there's not really anything there. So you have to create that culture there versus if you're at WAU. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Barron Springs is a booming shop. <laughs> <laughs> I heard they got a you That baguette go crazy, though. Shout out to Barron Products, bro. We out here. But I, but I think part of the, the uh, one of the other concerns that I've seen is that um, like enrollment is going down for a number of reasons. Like there, there are less Adventists in North America than there were uh, 20, 25 years ago. And there are less Adventist kids going to academy that there were going several years ago. And those are like the direct pool of where they're trying to recruit. And when that number is decreasing, like you, your enrollment at your school is going to decrease. And then I also have seen that the number of students on the East Coast has also decreased at higher Adventist higher because you've got places like New York that are offering it for free. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, if I could go to a university in New York state and like, why, please justify why I would spend tens of thousands of dollars at this university when I can do it for free. And while there, there are a lot of complexities and emotions that surround that, you know, with the, the faith, aspect being a huge component. Um, I, I feel as though many Adventist higher ed are running up short in giving a justifiable answer because that, that credibility of the prestige that some Adventist higher ed holds, uh, it doesn't really apply to a lot of millennial or Gen Z students. They're like, I, I don't care if you guys have a library that's named after James White. Like I. <laughs> You're talking about thousands of dollars. Yo, have loans. you been to the basement? <laughs> okay. That, I, have, oh, go ahead. That, I think it's part of that. I think it's, it's a much larger conversation with different pieces that are hurting them in different areas. All right. So I have a question on this. We're all products of Adventist education at different levels. I mean, we have WAU here, Andrews, got Union Ooh. College, got Southern, got a little bit of Oakwood in here as well. All right. Would you, if you could go back, and and do it over again. Would you go to an Adventist uh, for Adventist college or university? <laughs> um, that is a great question. I oh we all want to say no, but no one's gonna say. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let me Yo, that's, go that's low key facts. No, I, no, I'll, 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 go ahead, Jordan. Go ahead. I, I want. Yeah, to I mean, I have to say, I mean. I don't want to lie, sit here and lie and say that Andrews and going to an Adventist institution did not help me formulate my spiritual life, my spiritual walk. Fact. 
Could I have formulated my spiritual walk elsewhere at a public institution? Maybe, but if I'm being honest, I don't know if I could trust myself at 17 years old to really do that. So I do feel like that structure really helped me. Um, so I have to say, I probably would choose Andrew still because I'm kind of, back then I was kind of a punk, really scary, really afraid to do big things like go to a big city and leave Rochester. Kind of still am, but that's besides the point. So I would say at Andrews. I would I, not, go ahead. I would not have, if I could go back, I wouldn't go to Adventist school. Well, you can't, it's, they've got rid of your program. Go away! It's crazy! The religion department is still there, by the way. Yes, um, let them know, yo. So WAU has an awesome theology program because the professors are dope. But I, if I could go back as my 17-year-old self when I committed to going to school, WAU was my second choice. Well, it wasn't a choice. And then I ended up going there because I had gotten into another school early decision in senior year. So I probably would have gone to the school I got into early decision or I would have gone to University of Maryland because going to Adventist school got me messed up financially because no one who was 18 should, and paying their way through college should be able to sign for loans by themselves. And um, I think that I wish I like the $6,000 the school gave me every year really didn't do much. So like, I think either Adventist schools would need to give me more money or I would go somewhere else, but I'd probably go somewhere else. Yeah, I, I know Nick's had something to say before I jump in. It seemed like he was about to stand up for AU, our dear AU. <laughs> Nick, Nick's going to put on that, that, that Cardinal, yo, go rock, rock that thing. That's what I'm saying, bro. I'm, 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 I'm walk in the Cardinal. <laughs> I should have brought my jersey with me. Um, no. You know, I think I think I probably would have. Just And I had a, for me, it's, it's a very, like, it's a personal kind of a thing. Um, you know, my, my parents were living here. So I, I spent a lot of really critical time with my parents while going to school here. So that was really helpful for me. Um, I actually, the, the political science program, particularly the pre-law classes I took are the reason why I made it through law school ultimately, which was the more critical piece of my educational journey. Had I not taken legal writing here uh, with Professor Garrity uh, my legal writing grade in law school is what got me through the first year. I would have failed out. And so, um, so I can't just, I mean, could I have gotten that somewhere else? I mean, sure. I, I was sitting next to a classmate who went to Yale in my 1L class. But what that actually taught me was that, hey, I can hang. Like, I mean, Andrew's in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knew where the heck it was. And over time, I kind of liked that in some ways. I wasn't just like, you know, some kid from one of these, you know, oh, they look at your, you know, application and you went there, you just get in. It was more of a unique journey to get in for me um, and, and kind of having to prove yourself. And I think that experience helped me uh, yeah. going forward from there. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that personally. Yeah. If I could, if I could go back I would still go to Adventist University. I might not go to the one that I went to. I was about to say. Which I don't know if I will go there. We're going to cut this live off if you can't believe that. 
Oh, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, I, even, even with, you know, I mean, I got, uh, I had a great, you know, experience in that I met my wife there and, and made some of my best friends there. And, and so like, there's something valuable. And, and as well as like the spiritual component, I think it's invaluable. There, there are so many like, you know, they talk about like the things that don't show up on the stat sheet in sports. You know, I think there are a lot of those little things in, in, a, in an Adventist context that you pick up on. And like the network is, is powerful, especially if you're in one of the more traditional Adventist veins, like education or nonprofit work or, you know, religion or that kind of thing, healthcare, like those things are really valuable and the community is really valuable. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't poo poo it. Some of the experiences I want to be different, but yeah. So like that answer is a little interesting for me. Um, I grew up in, in Missouri and it was more like a go to college is like a thing. It wasn't like study something in college. It was just like, if you go, you're really doing something with your life back in when I went to college in 20, 2005. So um, I do remember the first time I moved into my dorm room we, Dad and I had just carried our TV up and um, a nice man asked if we wanted help opening the door. And that man was Michael Polite, who lived directly across the hall from me. So uh, that was kind of a cool experience. Uh, shout out to Chaps. I learned, Chap, I learned a lot from him in college. But at the same point, if I wouldn't have gone to Union, what would you say? The truth about hip hop days. Oh, yes, he definitely <laughs> brought that to Union College. I threw away all my CDs. Oh, game, my bro. God. Did you play them backwards, bro? I fell asleep in one of those meetings, and uh, Chap came over like Candyman. We called him polite back then. Uh, he like He's like, Logan, brother, you need to wake back up. And I'm like, man, I'm tired. He's like, yeah, that's the devil. Like, And I was like, oh. And people were throwing away Lion King, everything. It was crazy. <laughs> okay. Dumpsters. It was so sad. I would not have gotten that at a public university, but I probably would have went to the one here locally, which would have probably kept me in this area. And I think it's been good for me to kind of get out a little bit. So really what would have came to it is I would have, I would have either gone to a public university and left the church or gone to an Adventist university and wanted to. So like, that's just the two uh, options that I've come to. <laughs> yeah, I will say my, my experience, I, I think is, is similar to what Jordan was saying. And even what, what Garrison was saying, and the reason why I, what I mentioned earlier, like the faith component is so crucial. Um, yeah, I, it, it's hard to describe the role that uh, New Life played on my life um, as an individual um, who was still trying to formulate my, my, um, my theological beliefs. And then when you add in the component of things like uh, Deliverance Mass Choir, um, Andrews, uh, their BSDS, their impact, I, those are memorable things that have um, defined who I was in so many aspects of my life. And, and you can't replicate that anywhere else. Um, and then obviously, um, I met the love of my life there, which is um, top tier, mm -hmm. top tier, top tier. Go ahead, flex that one. But anyways, um, so in that in that regard, I think that's what it, it's conflicting because I I look at you know not to put um, her on blast but my sister's experience she she did not like it at um, at Andrews she it was there for five years she got a particular degree and what she realized is the the career she's in right now um, is not really what she went to school for 
And those areas that were meaningful to me um, were not as meaningful to her. And so it, it makes it difficult. Like I have conflicting emotions when I think about that, because right next door to me, this, this girl that I grew up with since birth, um, she's giving me very legitimate reasons why she did not like her experience in Adventist higher ed. Something as simple as when she's home, she doesn't really have that curfew, but as a freshman, she has to be in the dorm at like 1045. It's like little things like that ruin your experience, um, particularly in the dorm. And so it, it, I'm conflicted in that regard, but yeah, it's tough. Well, very good. Um, so great to be able to talk about our beautiful and magnificent educational system in the Adventist Church. But now it is time for PMI before we close. And for those that don't know, uh, PMI is piqued my interest. You get to share a film, TV show, book, article, or anything in between that has inspired you and that you would love to share. Adrian, could you go first for us, please? Yes, sorry. I, I, I'm only going first because I have to bounce to another meeting. Um, just like last week, I'm still, I'm still on that insecure wave, HBO, Sundays at 10 p.m. I love... I love, you can get out. Um, I love the commentary that they're doing this season, just surrounding how uh, breakdowns in communication can be so detrimental to friendships. But besides that, I love, once again, that uh, the protagonists are Black women. Um, it, it has been a while since we have seen anything like that. And I still stand by it. We have never seen it in this level being on HBO, which is one of the biggest platforms that you can ask for um and so yeah that's, that's still my 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 top choice with that i gotta go you guys it's been fun the um, agent thank you so much uh next uh can we have mike go first please and fyi let's try to keep this to 30 seconds uh yeah go ahead all right mine's gonna be longer than 30 seconds i'm sorry um <laughs> the quick part is i'm reading uh let me take off my back yeah, we can't see it. Yeah, this, this is going to take 30 seconds. Exactly. I'm sorry, Jordan. Um, <laughs> my office background. I've been reading The Alchemist. It's been um, suggested to me by a number of people. Most recently, one of my really close friends, Brendan Albury, shout out to him. He's actually a WAU employee and is still employed. Praise God. Um, <laughs> I see who you care. And I need to reiterate, like, I really, really no shade to WAU. Honestly, we're praying for them. That's I'm hor I was horrified when I read that quite quite clearly because uh, there are a lot of people affected by that. It's it's just not fun at all. But I, a bit of sad news. Um, this I don't know if piqued my interest is the right you know phrase for this, but I'll share my screen real quick. Some of y'all may have seen me post about this, but it's a picture of Pastor Robert Taupau. Um, he was um, just a really influential, speaking of, you know, Adventist education um, experiences, um, he, we just found out that he passed away in his sleep this past Sunday, um, gone way too soon. He was also, uh, he would run open gym a lot at Andrews. So those of you, you know, who played basketball and stuff, you know, during like the early to mid 2000s into the late 2000s era. He was around a lot. He was also a pretty big pillar at All Nations SDA Church for my dad pastors now. So a lot of people in our community that are broken up 
about it. Don't have a lot of details as to, you know, the, the complications around it. I know he was battling some health conditions, but all, everything that I've heard is this is really sudden. As you can see from the picture there, he loved the Chargers. He would talk about them all the time. He was just a bundle of joy, uh, was super nice to me and everyone else, always gave words of encouragement. I went back on Facebook and I just looked at this a, a number of messages he sent me over the year, just out of the blue, just saying, he's praying for me, congratulating me on stuff. And so just a really amazing person and uh, really heartbroken that um, we've lost him. You know, he has four kids, he's married. And so really broken up for them in particular. So just keep their family in prayer. Um, that's something that's really kind of stunned me over the past couple of days. We'll definitely keep him and his family uh, in our prayers. We'll keep his family in, in our prayers. Garrison, could you go next for us, please? Yeah, so, you know, the thing, you know, as, as Jordan just said, man, praying for, praying for your friend and the family. And yeah, just really sorry to hear that. Um, the thing that stands out for me, thing that's piqued my interest um, this week, I don't know about you guys, but I think I said it kind of towards the beginning, just super like down and tired and, and depressed or what have you. And, and it's just been so long since I feel like I could just get out and do stuff. So I bought um, a bike and um, I've been riding my little bike around and it's been amazing. I actually, uh, this is the first like real road bike that I've owned and man, it's just been great. And it's a great source of like community, like separate community, right? Like we occupy our own spaces and like we're going at our, our different paces and all that stuff but it's been really great to, to get into it. So I would just re recommend to anyone who's looking for uh, a good activity to get involved with, like, yo, like go get a bike, get outside and get some exercise on with a mask while you're doing it. Very good. Uh, thank you so much. Danny, could you go next for us, please? Yes, um, I have two quick things. Uh, the first thing is a podcast that's I love in general, but that's been really good, especially during this COVID crisis. Um, Intersectionality Matters by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. She's been doing a several part series on the, uh, the intersections of COVID-19 and the black community, um, as well as on age and class. So if someone's interested, those are some really good uh, discussion she's having. The other thing is a uh, album, a meditation album slash playlist. Uh, a lot of us have a lot of extra anxiety during this time. Um, and so I've been taking time for meditation and a good uh, playlist that I was given is called the self-care package uh, by Londrell on Spotify. And it has really been very I've been doing a different meditation each day and it's really been helping to keep me calm and at peace and just grounded in a time when there's so much confusion and craziness, so. Thank you, Danny. Uh, Esther, could you share what piqued your interest this week for us next? 
Uh, yeah, so with everything being uh, shut down, I just have a lot more time to actually like learn things like outside of what I have to learn for like teaching kids. So I've been I downloaded that app Coursera, which is like you can take like online college courses from various places. And I've been taking this course from Yale called the science of well being, which is basically all about um, like the ways that our intuitions about what will make us happy are really wrong. And what are the things that like proven through research actually make us happy. And it's a lot of things that are a lot more like, it's very like anti-individualistic. Like it turns out that like our mindset that like individualism and thinking about yourself and caring for yourself, that that makes you happier is actually like not backed by science at all. And a lot of things that make people happier have to do with like caring for the people around you. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's been very eye-opening for me. Very good, thank you. And Logan, uh, please finish for us. Oh, well, you got to go too, but yes, um, I guess for me, I got two things. One, I just saw some um, somebody said, I don't remember who uh, who said it, somebody, I think I just had Steve Weatherford. He's a personal trainer. Um, he's doing like hosting a daily um, devotion and workout with the Zoom call where you like text this number and they send you the link and every morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time, which makes it like 10 a.m. here, which is fine because that's when I wake up. Um, like to do a little Zoom workout. So I'm kind of excited to try that tomorrow. So I'll probably do that once and then not again. Um, that's going to be good. And then I've also like been doing a lot of podcasts. And so podcasts have kept me sane through this, whether it's been COVID coverage, the, the um, election, understanding some of these tarries, things but some of the podcasts that i really just love to listen to on a really regular basis uh the npr politics podcast fresh air which is an npr podcast uh new york times the daily the daily show with trevor noah's uh ears edition npr up first today explained i kind of listen to these maybe um pod save america when it's out that one's like super liberal ezra klein garrison put me onto that one that one's been really good too um so like some of these i those the first five i listed i think are everyday podcasts and so I can kind of like decide which topics I want to hit two or three a day. I love that because it keeps me really like up to date and knowledgeable on different things that are coming and different interviews, especially the daily. That's probably my favorite news one. But podcasts, if you look for any, those are the daily specifically and NPR. They're pretty balanced. They're not looking to give anything but information, which I enjoy. Um, Pod Save America will definitely make you really understand what liberals think, especially white guys. But um yeah, it's interesting um, podcast if you're interested in any, but yeah, and no, I'm not able to download them on dial-up, Garrison, because <laughs> my internet's <laughs> very slow. <laughs> Matthew Schallenberger was texting me, and he was like, yo, I got 300, what's yours? Our internet is 10 megabytes per second, like 10, that's what we pay for, and we don't even get that. We get like seven and a half, it's terrible. Yikes, Cal. <clears throat> Big yikes. And for me, just to end, I've actually watched this show on Netflix, and it was kind of a surprising show. It's called Never Have I Ever, and it's about a first-generation Indian-American girl and about her experience in high school with her friends. It's an incredibly diverse show, which I love. And again, it's from a female's, a female's perspective, which I love even more. And surprisingly enough, it is a very well done meditation on grief and working through trauma. So I don't want to spoil any of it, but it's on Netflix right now. It's produced by Mindy Kaling and I 100% recommend it if you're into that kind of thing. 
So thank you so much, uh, everyone, for talking and having another great discussion. And thank you to all of you at home for listening. I know you're home because you can't go anywhere else. We are Affirmative Interaction, and we're so glad that you could join us. Uh, please join us next Tuesday for another episode. And have a good night. Stay safe. Peace.